millennials have been much discussed about debated on appreciated and ridiculed by the generations before them but i think the next generations are always seen at with a critical view unless you know they have proved themselves by the earlier generations i happened to discuss this topic uh, with a friend of mine harshit uh, who very beautifully explained it he said millennials are the experimenters trying a new approach for almost every aspect of their life personal or professional and hence the difference of opinion our guest today subramaniam kalpati has authored the book the millennials subtitled exploring the world of the largest living generation to shed light on the professional aspect of this group so let's hear from him Namaste and welcome to Secrets of Storytellers. I am Shubham Agarwal. This is a podcast where I interview authors and writers from the world of business, literature and many more discussing stories and concepts. Don't miss out the last section where we get to know secrets from the storyteller themselves. Hello Subramaniam, how are you? Welcome to Secrets of Storytellers. Doing well, thank you Shubham and thanks for having me on your podcast. Great to have you. So, uh Subramaniam, uh, you've served various roles throughout your career, consulting hr researching teaching writing columns and these are quite diverse if i look at them uh, to add to it you have also authored a book so how did this authoring journey happen for you yeah thanks uh, shubham so i think um, it's it's been a bit of a you know roller coaster of a career for me already um, and thanks to you know fully grateful uh, for all that i've all the experiences that i've had so far right including of course writing a book yeah um, and as you rightly mentioned i've had the opportunity to do a bunch of things through my career over the last decade or so mm-hmm. um right and and um the way that you articulated it right uh, although they appear to be disconnected uh, or you know diverse as you put it which is you know consulting hr research teaching writing columns etc I, i really don't see them as um, disconnected i in fact you know they they come together quite well oh wow uh and one sort of feeds off the other right so to give you an example the way that i got into writing uh, the book uh, right so the writing of the book happened much later uh-huh. um but then much before that is is you know where i started just experimenting with writing right so i i used to write my own blog i used to uh, contribute to um, magazines like uh, times ascent uh, economic times and uh, people matters and so on right so i, I wrote for quite a few uh, magazines and different kinds of publications and sort of uh, got my feet wet right uh, and then i realized that you know this is this is good because i was getting good feedback on my writing uh, from people who used to read my stuff so i thought why not you know look at a bigger project for myself right. um right and i thought let's let's sort of take the plunge and find out you know what uh, what writing a book is all about so one thing really led to another and it uh, thankfully for me it all sort of came together Uh, and then uh, you know i think about 6 to 7 years back is when i actually started researching and uh, you know thinking about writing the book wow um, right so uh, that entire phase took about 3 years of research so the book uh, itself took about 3 years of you know talking to people um, talking to researchers who are doing work in this area right. uh, economists professors professionals who are working in organizations um right so all kinds of people so that process itself was satisfying just uh, you know understanding what's happening in the field for about 2 to 3 years mm-hmm. um post which of course i actually got into you know finding a publisher and writing so i think it's it's been a great journey um, throughout and i'm quite uh, happy with how it's uh, turned out so far yeah i can feel that journey was great while you were explaining it <laughs> and and i'm sure that you know those 
uh, all those things connected well yeah so uh, so let let us first define who a millennial is you know because there's a lot of debate about it <laughs> and there are enough and more bifurcations in all kinds of timelines and everything so who who is a millennial according to you yeah uh, so it's a, it's a great question right i think uh, there is a lot of debate and there is a lot of um, you know also uh, arguments uh, in terms of you know first of all uh, do we even need to define generations right let's start with that right uh, right are we sort of uh, bucketing people forcibly into uh, arbitrary uh, generations uh, where you know there might not be any meaning uh, whatsoever in the way that we sort of bucket them that's number one yeah um the other thing is okay even if we do where does one generation start and where does the other end right um and of course there are global definitions of um, how generations have been defined correct and of course there are local uh, sort of nuances to it right right so um so there are lots of you know different shades uh, in terms of you know defining a generation and it really also depends on who you ask right uh, right uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't enough people who research on the subject there are enough and more uh, people who are spending time and effort uh, really trying to figure out uh, you know what um, what comes of it in terms of actually researching and putting it down ah uh, okay so long story short i think um, shubham uh, you know my go to uh, place when i started researching for the book mm-hmm. uh, was this uh, institute called the pew research center in the us okay um, right so they have been doing a lot of survey based uh, research it's basically i think tank based in the us and they do a lot of work and research around um, defining generations right and putting together um, years uh, to those generations so for uh, for the sake of my research I, i looked at them because they you know they are quite credible and other researchers also quote their mm-hmm. you know definitions of who millennials are and not just millennials and also other generations okay so according to the pew research center um, you know millennials are born between 1981 and 96 right right so that's the that's the clear cut off that they have okay but you can you know as a sort of a good rule of thumb is Uh, anyone who is born after the 1980s or in the 1980s onwards mm-hmm. up to probably about 95 or 2000 is defined as a millennial right right so basically the way that it works is generations are defined every 15 or 20 years or so right so we say that uh, you know every 15 or 20 years or so a new sort of generation emerges um, and you see them you know not just in the economy in the way that they you, you see consumption patterns and so on but also at work in terms of you know what drives them and so on so we'll talk about it but uh, in a nutshell this is the this is the generation definition as per uh, the pew research center for millennials okay uh, i totally respect that you know i i'm sure that you went deep into understanding what were the reasons of it but say i were to give you the chance to define it would you have done it on the basis of timeline or would you have done it on the basis of how one things what has really changed in those uh, years that you know we needed to define a new generation what do you think yeah i think it's a it's a good point um so i think uh, see uh, the way that i look at it is that um you know if you if you look at professionals who came of age in the new millennium right which is 2000 onwards mm-hmm. uh, which is why the term millennials right because these are professionals who came of age in the new millennium right uh, and therefore the kind of opportunities that they saw at work the kind of uh, consumption patterns that they saw in the market right so there is a unique context attached to the way in which um, this generation sort of came of age 
right? right? And of course, there is also context attached to the way uh, in which they were brought up. So I'm also a millennial and so are you, yeah. um, right? So um, being, let's say, for instance, 90s kids, right? So people who have been brought up in the 90s have a very uh, different sort of, um, you know, approach to life because we've had some unique experiences in the 90s when we were growing up as kids, hmm. um, right? So for instance, I was reading yesterday in the newspaper that, uh, you know, DDLJ will complete 25 years uh, next week, yeah. right? 25 years of being released. So just that phenomenon of having watched an iconic movie like um, DDLJ or Rangila, right? Whatever, whatever right. it is that you like, yeah. right? Those have been very unique experiences that we had or we formed, um, right? And uh, movies also reflection of the reality of, you know, society in a way, right? I agree, yeah. Right. So that's so therefore, you know, uh, Rangila, for instance, if you take, uh, you know, the economy had just opened up and, you know, there was this entire, you know, a, a lot of things were new to people who were sort of already, you know, working at that point in time in the 90s. Right. But as millennials, we weren't yet working. Right. So it was just an entertainment outlet for us. And we, we sort of found out what's what's happening. So that's that's one part of it. Right. So I think. To your point, context really matters. And I think context is everything, yeah. um, right? In, in the way that we define generations. Um, and also, yes, to your point that, you know, it, it shouldn't be just a factor of age, I agree. Right. Um, right. So what uh, one important distinction that I would like to make here is that, you know, a lot of things um, that people assign to generations might not be a factor of the generation, but it could be a factor of age. Okay. So for instance, what I mean by that is, as youngsters, for instance, you know, we might be spendthrifts, right? We might spend a lot more than we save, right. but that's a factor of us being young, not a factor of us being millennials, right? That's a wonderful way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So probably our parents did the same when they were young, right? Because they were also naive. They were also, yeah. right? Uh, so I think there's a lot of misattribution that happens, hmm. right? Uh, which which I don't think is correct. So therefore that, that sort of, uh, you know, fix has to be clear in our minds in the way that we look at things. Right. I, I love, uh, I think, uh, the fact that, you know, you put context over everything else. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. So so then, Subramanian, what are the two most important traits which define the millennials or their approach towards the professional world, let's say? Sure. Um, so this is actually, uh, I, I like the fact that you're asking this question. Because uh, when I do my sessions with, uh, you know, so when I when I give talks around my books, and I've done that over the last four years since the book was published, right? Um, it's a trick question that I like to put in my presentations. Okay. Right. Uh, so what? So the way that I phrase the question is. So I've decoded your presentation then. You have, yeah. So it's a good question. <laughs> Great. But it's a trick question, right? right. So the way that I phrase the question is, uh, millennials are. Dash, right? So that's all I give. Okay. Right. And then people respond saying that, okay, millennials are entitled, millennials are lazy, millennials like autonomy, millennials are entrepreneurial. Right. Right. Um, and it's a trap really, right? So if you, so you're collecting data at your end. <laughs> exactly. But look, I'm not collecting data. What I'm really collecting is people's perceptions of, uh, of the generation. Right. Right. Um, which may or may not be true. Right. Uh, it's, it's a perception at the end of the day. The way that you experience, uh, you know, you yourself being a millennial, the way that you experience life and the way that you respond to it, mm. uh, right? Vis-a-vis -vis someone who's observing you experiencing life, there, there are two different perceptions to it, right? So therefore, Correct. this is an outside-in perception. This is basically a commentary of someone who's older than you, who is, you know, giving you uh, advice or giving you uh, judgment as to how you are in a way. Right. Right. Vis-a-vis -vis you yourself being from the generation saying that, hey, this is how I perceive things, right? That's not right. So uh, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, if you look at any other demographic, uh -huh. right, if you look at, let's say, women, for instance, 
okay um, you will never see a panel uh, you know panel of speakers talking about for instance women leadership without obviously women being on the panel right um, but that's not the case for generations unfortunately i have to say because i have seen enough and more panel discussions where millennials are not represented on the panel right so that's a very valid point yeah you have a whole bunch of seniors uh, you know uh, no disrespect to them but then there's no representation right so i i find that very strange um, right in a way that because you know you're you're looking upon your youngster you're looking down upon your youngsters and you know not not giving them enough due or credit i think that's wrong right um, right so therefore you know so i think it, it's a trick question right but to answer your question um you know i think it it's a great way to define millennials not in terms of uh, you know traits because traits are not fixed uh, traits are always evolving right right somebody who's lazy or entitled today can very well be entrepreneurial or autonomous tomorrow because you know certain life events happen and therefore you change so i think it's it's important to define it uh, going back to our earlier point of defining it in the context of uh, where we are working or what we are doing in life or defining it in terms of the external environment so i like that all oh, right wherein you know if you if you if you think about what has changed right over the last 10 years or 20 years take one change one big change that has happened is that you see you know digital technology has sort of exploded correct um right so therefore as millennials you know we've we've had access to technology right. and this term called digital natives right has really stuck to millennials because right. we are sort of the first generation that came of age when technology really exploded right and we are very comfortable you know working with technology so for instance you doing this podcast um right uh, at at such a young age so therefore we are quite comfortable with it. Yeah. so that's that's one i would say is is a you know very important trait that sticks to millennials not because of any inherent trait that they have but by virtue of the generation using you know their external environment well to be able to exploit it and make sense of it so that's one the other thing that i would say is um you know I, it's it's a phrase that i like to borrow from a co-author of uh, you know another author that i admire rajiv jaraman uh-huh. uh, and he talks about um, this entire phenomenon of being boundaryless okay right so i'd like to believe that millennials are quite boundaryless in the way that they think in the way that they approach uh, you know not just work but also important issues around them right uh, and there is also a connection to technology there right so for instance you know tomorrow today if anything happens halfway around the world you are bombarded with that news in an instant right so you know right. that something important is, is is happening halfway around the world um let's say at uh, you know some remote far east part of the world mm-hmm. uh, and you know about it instantly right so you are you are informed about it unlike before where you had to wait for that news to reach to you so therefore you are able to think and act in a way that you know you're not constrained in the way that you think and act right, right? so therefore these two things i like to think about so one is of course technology digital and the other is globalization boundarylessness in the way that they think and approach their work right i i agree those two things are quite unique with our generation and uh, i think uh, that was not so comfortable in in these terms for the earlier generations right right so uh, uh subramanian quick fast rapid growth is something that the millennials always look for you know either they have achieved it or either they are looking for it however the elder ones or the elder wisdom tells us that you know finer things in life take time they take effort they take some hard work do you think the generation of millennials have been able to prove otherwise yeah so i think um, there are two parts to this answer um, i think one is that uh, if you if you look at um, disruption right for instance right um, a lot of uh, you know uh, disruption technological disruption or otherwise is happening across industries right and if you look at startups if you look at the entire startup space 
um, you will find at least in India, you will find that most startups, uh, at least the successful ones and even the unsuccessful ones, uh, have been pioneered by young folks. Right. Right. True. You take uh, you take typical sectors like uh, you know transportation or uh, food or any of those. So when I was researching for the book, also I found examples about uh, you know uh, over examples, and I'm talking about six seven years ago. I'm not talking about now. Yeah. Right. Um, when I was researching for the book, I found so many examples and so many instances where. Uh, you know, millennials were challenging the conventional wisdom mm -hmm. and saying that, hey, is there a different way of doing things? Right. right? Uh, and therefore, you know, that led to innovation that led to, um, you know, technology being utilized differently. Right. And we see so many examples of, um, you know, that and brands that have become household names overnight. Uh, right. And just a couple that I can share with you right now, and I'm sure you will also agree is, is uh, Ola, for instance, right I agree. Right in the way that it has disrupted the entire yeah. mobility uh, sector or uh, Swiggy, for instance, the way uh, or Zomato, right, right. In, in the way that they have disrupted the entire uh, food delivery ecosystem, right? Agreed that, uh, you know, they might not be, there might not be innovations across sectors, but I think a, there are lots of examples where, uh, you know, younger folks who are thinking differently, even the ed tech space, yeah. you see now the entire disruption that's happening in the ed tech space. Right. Many of them being led by millennials. Yeah, no taking away the credit because they've changed their habit. They've they've brought in a new culture, which is never prevalent in India as a system. And I think that's a huge thing. It's, it's a big thing to change a habit of a complete generation or so, to say a, a mass of people. So, yeah, they've, they've done a wonderful job. Absolutely. And I think the poster boy of startups in India is really Flipkart, right? Uh, if you think about yeah, no doubt the about way it. that Sachin, Sachin and Billy Bansal sort of disrupted uh, e-commerce, for instance, right? Um, and uh, also unique in the way that they have set up the organization, uh, the culture, etc. like you were talking about, is so unique. Um, but having said that, the second part uh, of my answer to that, um, Shubham, is that, you know, millennials, I think there is, a, uh, there is a tendency to equate millennials to only folks who are young. But I would like to point uh, out the fact that the youngest or the oldest millennials today are already touching their 40s right they might be very soon right right so they're not young anymore right so which means that they have also evolved over the last decade or so at least the older millennials yeah uh, they've also evolved uh and i'm sure you know there are still there's still 20 30 more years to go in their careers right uh, right and of course that wisdom will take shape as they as they evolve and as we evolve uh, as professionals uh, in our lives also, right? Personally and professionally. Hmm. Um, but uh, it's, it's not like, you know, they are young anymore, right? So they've also seen the world, they've made their mistakes, True. they've made their corrections, and now they have sort of, you know, pivoted uh, in the way that they have. That's that's right. So uh, this this difference of opinion, when this reaches the organizations which have a mix of all generations, both the older ones and the millennials, have companies had a hard time dealing with this force or has it helped in a solid push towards growth and better economic standing? Yeah, so I see, I don't think there's a clear answer to this. I may have, um, you know, I may have given you a certain answer, uh, maybe when I was researching and writing the book, uh -huh. um, because, uh, you know, in the, in the last five to six years, I think a lot has changed. Mm -hmm. Right. Also, if you go back, um, you know, a lot of the startups that have become really successful today, were really just getting started up in the last uh, five to six years, or maybe a decade ago. Um, but I think a lot has changed. So therefore, I think, um, you know, uh, so two things, right? So one is, of course, if you talk about growth, no doubt, I think there have been several organizations that have witnessed phenomenal growth over the last decade or so. So we are in 2020. So if I were to just take from 2013 onwards in the last seven years, I think there are plenty of examples of, um, you know, uh, I'm just talking about startups because they're, that's where you see millennials heading yeah. the organization and sort of growing the organization, right? Um, so I think there has been a lot of um, growth, no doubt about it. 
but um, if you talk about culture right so that's that's i would say 50-50 right because um, a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders young leaders have also learned the hard way right. in terms of what works and what does not work hmm. uh, right and in fact simon sinek he he was giving an interview i think a few years ago there's a nice video yeah. uh, not the viral video with that everyone talks about but there's another video where he's having a conversation with adam grant okay and he says that um, you know leadership is suffering uh, in organizations right, right. Uh, and you know older generations just do not know how to manage the youngsters who come into the workforce right right um, so therefore there's a lot of adjusting that's happening both ways right so um, younger folks have to adjust to you know the wisdom and the the intellect that their uh, much experienced peers bring right um, right and vice versa and i think a lot of organizations also sort of appreciate the fact or leaders also appreciate the fact that the youngsters bring in you know unique perspectives and therefore that also has to be respected right um, so i think um, i think it it works both ways right i agree but then uh, you know we uh, the millennials are the ones who have seen the two contexts that we talked about transition you know we did not have a lot of technology at our hand though now we are extremely technology oriented and you know digital technology has taken almost every aspect of the life however the next generation uh, the gen z is someone who has been born with it already so do you see a different context emerge for these these people and they are more radical in their approach yeah so i think um uh, you know a great question so i think uh, there is a lot of research uh, ongoing research around gen z and one of the uh, one of the authors that i like who does uh, interesting work uh, in this area is this um, lady called jean twench mm-hmm. right and she does uh, interesting work and she's published a book called igen okay uh, right and you know a lot of the answering that i'm going to give you for this question is is from my Uh, reading of that book okay right and uh, just a quick summary right um, because it's not my area of expertise the next generation so i would sort of defer to her right so therefore you know what she says is that people who are born or kids who are born 1995 and later uh-huh. uh, they already grew up with cell phones yeah right whereas uh, for us millennials cell phones sort of came in a little later in life were a luxury yeah yeah it's not like we had it while we were growing up in school or anything i didn't have it at least yeah i didn't um, right yeah. so it's not like i had an instagram page when i started high school right so that also happened much later for me right right and i don't remember a time it's not like i don't remember a time before the internet right i rem- i very clearly remember this you know the time that i started going to cyber cafes and accessing the internet or do you remember the time uh, there were cd's and internet used to come in cd's <laughs> correct yeah so i i remember we used to install cd's and get internet so that was crazy time i think exactly yeah so you had to install that and you had you had your floppy disks and what have you right so <laughs> right so the transition sort of happened so we saw it whereas the next generation is is already born with it right so it's not like they saw this entire shift um right so i think the oldest members of this generation take for instance the iphone when it was launched in 2007 yeah um right so this this new generation was just about 10 years old or maybe 7 years old right when this um, when the iphone and the ipad was launched yeah right so what what um, you know what this author john twench what she says um is that you know the the i and she calls it the i uh, generation right so she calls it the i gen right um right and the i basically stands for um you know uh, several different things right so that's what she refers to mm-hmm. um and i'm going to tell you a few of them that i like right so in in the sure. in the context of this conversation right so um she says the i first stands for in no hurry okay right so that's the first i so the extension of childhood into adolescence the second i is internet of course right okay um the third i is in person no more 
right? Because um, you don't, you know, you don't really need social interaction so much because everything is happening virtually on your phone. Yeah. Right. The next I is insecure hmm. because there is a sharp rise in mental health issues, right? For this yeah, uh, younger generation. Not so great, but yeah, it's there. Yeah. The next is uh, irreligious, which means that there is uh, a bit of a decline in religion, yeah. especially for the, the, the younger lot. Um, the next is, uh, she says, insulated, but not intrinsic, right? Which means that, you know, there is an interest in safety, mm-hmm. but there is a decline in civic involvement, right? So really figuring out what's happening in your, in your society and so on. The next I is income insecurity, right? Which is, there is this entire new attitude towards work, yeah. right? Saying that, you know, okay, there is a gig economy happening. Will I get work, not work, mm. right? Um, uh, and there is also this um, entire piece about inclusivity. Right, because there is also acceptance, a need for more equality, yeah. right, uh, free speech, things like that. Right. Uh, and the last I that I like is independence, right, because they they like to be independent Definitely. in their political yeah. views and the way that they work, yeah, view their work. Right. So these are the you know nine eyes out of the ten that I like, right. Um, that she, that she says is is sort of characteristic of this next generation called Gen Z. This is wonderful. I mean, uh, this is a really good take. Obviously, not making any judgment on which is a right or which is a wrong aspect. But these are, I think, uh, in, in total, the aspects of the next generation. And I, I agree again. Great. I think it was a wonderful discussion, Subramanian, on how millennials have shaped up and how are they shaping up and where are we headed. This brings us to the last section of the podcast, which is a common section across all the episodes. It's an interesting one and a personal favorite as well. So, you know, we call the show Secrets of Storytellers. So I want to ask you one secret about the book or about your journey as an author while you were writing the book that you've probably, probably not shared on any other platform yet. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if it's a secret really, but uh-huh. people who know me know that. So I took a sabbatical, right? Because writing a book is no easy task. Right. Um, and there are several people who do it while they are working or doing other mm. things. But for me, I realized that especially the writing part of it, right? So the research is okay. You can talk to people, you can put data together, but then yeah. unless you unless you make the writing really come alive, right? You don't really do justice to the book. Right. Um, so therefore I realized that, uh, you know, I, I, I just can't do it while I'm working. So I took a sabbatical. So I was about wow. three to four months away, away from work um, to give it, you know, my full shot. So I, I had never done it before in my life. So I didn't know what would come out of it. Right. Um, but I had already, you know, I had already signed up um, with the publisher and there was a looming deadline. So I had to submit right. a manuscript <laughs> in about four months. Okay. Uh, so I, I didn't really have much of a choice. So I realized that, okay, I need to get this done. So my employer, of course, was kind enough to let me go, give me some you know, right. few months for me to finish writing the book. Uh, that yeah, would, so that must I think, have been a good, good backup. So yeah. So that yeah. was an interesting exercise of yeah, four months of just focusing and writing. I'm getting the book out. But weren't you nervous or scared while taking that step? That's a, that's a bold step to take a sabbatical for writing a book, which you've never done in your life before of, of a four month duration. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, there, there was a lot of uncertainty because, uh, you know, see, unlike writing fiction, uh, here you have a lot of dependency. So if you if you read my book, you, you will see that there are lots of case studies and, you know, real life examples of how people are doing right. at work. So there was a lot of dependencies on, you know, organizations giving me data, people being kind enough to, you know, talk to me. And, you know, I think, uh, like I said, right, so I'm quite grateful to all those people who, you know, took the time out to actually speak to me, give me the data and were sort of trusting in me saying that you know this guy will do a good job and therefore of course i did make mistakes it's not like i didn't yeah uh, you know struggle i made plenty of mistakes and i learned from them 
but i think there was a lot of faith and trust that was interested in me and thankfully i think it was it, it all came out fine but to answer your question of course i was nervous of course i was afraid it's not like uh, you know i knew <laughs> exactly how this is going to pan out right um, but yeah unless I, if i didn't do it i wouldn't know so i'm sure yeah correct so that's the big learning for me right so i think you took the millennial approach and it worked out for you well <laughs> yeah <laughs> So great uh, Subramanian thank you so much for giving us time it was a wonderful discussion i hope you enjoyed it too i did thank you thank you this is uh, this is great i think thanks for uh, having me on the show right the pleasure is ours and thank you to all the listeners until the next secret and the next to a teller this is shubham signing off bye bye